0: She's always been the type of person that just says things and she just speaks her mind. I guess that has a little bit to do with not having a formal education. hi everybody welcome to episode 45 of the body serve i'm james
1: and i'm jonathan
0: and we are coming to you uh in the middle of the french open which is shaping up to be quite the uh, disastrous tournament for some and a uh, glorious surprise for others right and just generally confounding
1: well before we get into that we had a seminal like, well not seminal because the third time we've seen her But a very important life moment happened for us Well, I mean,
0: it is seminal because it's the first post-Lemonade.
1: Yeah, and we've talked about Beyoncé so much on the podcast that we couldn't have gone to see her and not tell you all about it. Exactly, whether you like it or not. We're going to try and keep it brief, but (laughs) we'll give you a few snippets as to what it was like for us. In short, fucking awesome. As usual, (laughs) she played for over
0: two hours. It was long, and she just slipped away... For like a minute at a time. To get
1: some costume changes going. Yeah, I don't even think there was time to pee. I don't know. I don't know well, like how I mean, she catches her breath. You don't really need to pee when you're just going full stop. Right? Well, that's well, true. non-stop like that, right? Yeah. Tell that to some of the tennis players who need to take bathroom breaks. <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> there, is no, there is no cramping timeouts
1: in <laughs> the Formation World Tour, okay? <laughs> then we'll get your ass fired. The show starts... And all these women, everybody in the band is a woman. Mm -hmm. As usual. These women come out on stage and there's an extension of the stage. It's a very narrow catwalk almost. And the women go down in formation and coming right at the end is Beyonce. Mm -hmm. Like, where's Beyonce? Where's Beyonce? And then, oh, yes, (laughs) that is Beyonce.
0: Yeah, so she started with formation. She did... It was like a lot of up tempo stuff, and uh, no, no single ladies though. No, I was honestly I was happy not to hear it. Mm-hmm. I you didn't know? need to hear it. It seems like just a different time at this point. She did me myself and I, which was awesome. It was uh, like a rare bit of real singing during the concert because a lot of it
1: was so hype and there was dancing. It was a lot of one dancing. of her few full on ballad moments because mm-hmm. a lot of the the songs are snippets. Or maybe two-minute portions of songs that kind of blend together, mashups, if you will. Right. And so you got, you know, a, a few bells, but not a whole lot.
0: It was like a lot of the anthems, you know. Mm-hmm. She, I, she obviously loves to perform girls because she always does. She glossed over "I Am Sasha Fierce," which is fine because the album is full of filler, in my opinion.
1: I don't have an <laughs> opinion.
0: <laughs> And uh, yeah, she did my favorite song from Lemonade, which I've gone. I've expounded on this before, so I won't. But she did it all night and it was
1: gorgeous. And you had your church hands going. Yes. When Beyonce gave her explanation as to why it was her favorite song on the album. And for the exact same reasons that you've said Mm -hmm. to me privately Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. on the podcast. And subsequently on Twitter, because you just think it's (laughs) the most amazing thing that you and Beyonce are so in sync.
0: Yeah, you know, some people just get it. (laughs) You know, I knew there was a deeper meaning to this record. (laughs) Well, we're both Virgos, and we do have our birthday in the same week. Mm. And if you know Get Me Bodied, you know what her birthday is, because she uh, recites it.
1: James' is September 7th, so feel free to send him... (laughs) seven eight five. (laughs) Feel free to send him monetary gifts in the thousands. (laughs) Yeah. She closed the show with Halo, which might be my favorite Beyonce song. And I was a little bit disappointed because after having not had so many ballad moments throughout the show, and I live for my ballads, (laughs) I was expecting to have a nice big sing-along at Mm. the end. And she sang about like the first minutes of it, and then it was like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yeah. And then it was the one last big melismatic moment where it just went on and on and then it was done. The one difference for this show from other Beyonce shows I've been to is that I felt like it was the most light on actual singing.
0: Yeah, probably. Yeah, it was like the most tightly choreographed yes, and like the most showy, definitely. you know?
1: And in a lot of ways, the most powerful. Mm. But from an, an emotive point of view, with connecting with the audience through ballads and the songs that you know, it may have been uh, my least favorite from that point of view but when you have her performing freedom in water on the stage mm-hmm. and doing the freedom dance which is what you called it right <laughs> that was awesome
0: yeah that was incredible
1: well all of a sudden you just
0: noticed oh they're standing in water ankle length water over there where did that come from you know when you're not looking they were filling up the,
1: I would have the stage loved with water to be right in front of her being bathed Oh my In God. Beyonce foot water. If she kicked <laughs>
0: holy water onto you, I would never wash my hair again. I would just feel
1: so exalted. Well, my hair is really great. Well, that's because Beyonce kicked <laughs> her holy water onto Thank it. Thank Beyonce. Oh my God. There was this moment where
0: Beyonce went backstage and a guitarist was like having this huge solo and she was like shredding like crazy. And this girl next to me, is Snapchatting this moment, and she's like, and it says, oh my god, Beyonce playing the guitar.
1: I'm like, my girl. R- r- what? <laughs> and this girl knew the music. She knew oh, the song; yeah. She knew every she word. She did her studying, which surprised me because you should know Beyonce has a female guitar player in uh, her band and that her band is all women at this point.
0: And, I mean, the similarities, I guess, was this was also a, a black woman with, like, long hair. With uh, that caramel was skin.
1: <laughs> That's about it, because oh, this right. girl cut a much more imposing figure, shall we say, than yeah. Beyonce. She's like, okay, girl, that is not Beyonce. And did Beyonce just go backstage and turn into a butch-looking lesbian <laughs>
0: in the span of... <laughs> you know what? She's Beyonce. If she wanted to, she could do it.
1: <laughs> the, that was the other cool part of being there. there were, the, the cross-section of people at that concert was pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, and I find that at every Beyoncé show. And it was uh, kind of similar to the Janet show, although that skewed a little bit older. Much older. But at Beyoncé, you really see all kinds of people. There were a lot of mothers
1: bringing their daughters to the show, their teenage teenage daughters
0: chaperoning. That is so sweet. I loved seeing that. And, you know, of course, lots of I don't know where you're going with that. The
1: Janet demographic was much different. Mm -hmm. It was, we were maybe the youngest people there. That is not true. (laughs) There were so many young kids at the show. Yeah, but like people
0: from all walks of life, you know. Okay. It wasn't like strictly white kids from the suburbs or a black crowd, or you know, it was. I mean, that's what Toronto. Oh, that's Toronto. The but yeah, but the concert looked like Toronto. Yes, and that's not true. you go to some places in Toronto. It's like, whoa, where did all these white people come from?
1: Like when you go to some place in Toronto and you happen. Upon, like, the only spot in Toronto where it's all white people, you're like, what is going on? (laughs) Right. Like, there's something untoward going going on here right now. Yeah. It's all those hipsters, I'm telling you.
0: Now, why don't we give ourselves a serious downer and talk about the biggest news
1: we had had planned to record last night, but it just was not happening with the mood that we're in. Rafa withdrew. That's the first thing I saw when I woke up. It ruined my day. Went to work, had a shit shift at work. <laughs> there was no accident that that happened. Clearly correlated. Mm. And I came home and I was just like, no, not happening tonight.
0: Right. I feel like the, the tennis world was kind of blindsided by it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, there were a few people that knew something was going on. Andy Murray had practiced with him. Yeah. But I was I'm surprised, stunned. too,
1: that we didn't get people who were on site in the media having caught wind of it somehow from somebody through some channel. Because you know the gossiping and the whispering. Mm. It's like the favorite thing on Twitter for a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, You know, like somehow somebody must have alluded to it. Maybe they did and we didn't know. But it came as a total shock to me. And one of the things that we enjoy about the European clay court season, especially when Rafa is playing well, which he had been this year, is it's such a slow build to this culmination. Mm -hmm. At Roland Garros. And we felt, unlike last year, that Rafa had made those steps, those progressions, along with each successive tournament, to be able to be in a spot after all the tragedy of Mm -hmm. last year, to be a serious contender. Even if Novak were to beat him again, fine. But we felt like, you know, like this would be a very competitive semifinal. Something to look forward to. And then this bombshell happened.
0: It seems like the tennis press and the various folks that are you know, in the tennis world, have a lot of respect for Rafa. And there was definitely a lot of sadness among, you know... Well, John McEnroe was devastated, personally. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there was a feeling that, it at least for me, he was much better positioned this year going into the French. That even if he had to play Novak in the semis, there was actually a chance that he could win. You know, even though it's been so long. I mean, last year he played Novak in the quarters... And after that first set, it was like, okay, there's just no chance. And he was just in much better form this year. So it's really, it's depressing. And it's alarming because a wrist injury we know can be very tricky.
1: The hope is that he stopped playing in time as a preventative measure for it to not be too serious. Mm -hmm. Because from what I've read, it can be feasible. The timeline that he's given of, you know, maybe being out for a month to play Wimbledon is not totally unrealistic. It just depends on how he responds.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, what was a little scary was that he took uh, an injection, right? In, before his second round match to mm-hmm. just kind of deaden the wrist. And so it kind of felt like it was asleep. Which is scary because you can't feel the pain. So you don't know what kind of damage you're doing you know, while you're playing on it. So I think... After that match, he decided this isn't worth the risk. You know, the tendon could actually snap. When he
1: woke up the next day and mm. he couldn't even hit his forehand, he said. Right. But I mean, when when he calls this impromptu press conference and then he shows up with his wrist in a splint, like, you know what's coming. Oh, right. right. This ain't no Sharapova moment. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, we'll deal with you later. But... Honestly, for Rafa and his fans, it seems like one blow after another. We had, you know, we had a few victories this spring, but it's just, it's tough. It is painful these past few years.
1: And it seems very tough on Rafa as well. Mm-hmm. He was very emotional and down, as realistic and grounded as ever in the way he did, he spoke about it. Mm-hmm. He got into the press conference and they asked him, you know, do you want to just say say something? you know, give a speech, an opening statement. Right. And he went on for like three minutes. Right, and right. at moments, it felt like he was even being asked questions and responding to specific questions because of how detailed he was just speaking off the cuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, I know. I I wasn't sure if there was a prompting question yeah. at the beginning or if he was just kind of monologuing. He
1: needs no encouragement to keep going. No. Press. <laughs> when you go back and you read some of these transcripts of... Uh, the tennis players. Some of them are so short mm-hmm. and so to the point. And Rafa and Novak and Roger, the three of them tend to be epi- well, They're epistles. Roger
0: Federer, especially <laughs> that is his specialty. <laughs> but way back when Rafa's English wasn't very good, I know he can go off in Spanish mm. forever, but it's nice to hear him just blah, 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 blah in English. You know,
1: you go on Getty or any of these photo imaging sites That cover the French Open, and you look at the Rafa pictures from that press conference, it's so depressing.
0: It, uh, yeah, it really, he really looks like a sad puppy. It's like they all zoomed in on his brown eyes,
1: glossy. I'm using one for my This Week in Tennis, uh, the next volume that's coming out next week, like Monday probably. And so for the men's section, I was looking for a Rafa picture, and I'm just like, oh my God. This is terrible. <laughs> right. I'm still using one of them because it's the most notable storyline on the men's side, but to have to pick one was just awful. <laughs> I know. And he played so well in the first few rounds. Yeah. Ugh. He so... gave he gave us that tweener at least. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and he was so embarrassed afterward that uh, he hit
0: it. And Groth was a good sport. You know, after one of uh, after one of Rafa's forehand winners, Groth said something like, "Get out of here, mate." Did you hear that?
1: <laughs> Something else from the first week, Varvara Lipchenko. We had mentioned, well, you mentioned it on the previous podcast. Right. That I, there were murmurs that she had gotten a silent ban.
0: And I was almost afraid to mention it because I didn't really have any facts.
1: Proof, yeah. But did we not get all of those receipts from her wow. press conference? Well, I mean, we
0: got everything and nothing from that press conference at the same time. <laughs> so apparently, she's been serving a silent ban. Uh, for March and April, because she tested positive for, wait, you guessed it. Advil. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Meldonium. <laughs> <Sharapovium>. <laughs> um, So, as is the ITF's want, the silent ban was silent. <laughs> you know, pending a hearing, they don't announce anything.
1: And apparently it was such a small dosage that it was just lifted. Mm-hmm. Right. So she... Sorry, after it was revealed by Watt or whatever that below a certain level that there really is no... You know, like whatever. It wasn't going to be prosecutable. Right?
0: Now, she gave an extremely awkward press conference at the French Open where reporters were obviously asking her about this ban. And she says, I have no comment on that. I want to talk about the tennis only. And so then you got some creative questions trying to there are like six dance follow-up around. Questions. I mean, listen, you just served a doping ban that nobody knew about.
1: Nobody wants to talk about your tennis. That's that people from inside your own camp sold your ass out to the press. Oof. Did you read that? No. It was some some somebody in her camp was given quotes to press about it. Oh. About having had confirmation from her father. So I don't know who her father is speaking to that's mm. going to then go tell the press all her business. Oh but like, the best case, the best way to address this at this point is to just deal with it.
0: Yeah. And is not these sort of... Isn't this a reporter's job to ask you these questions as well? Like, this, yeah. this is about your tennis. Uh-huh. It,
1: and if somebody hadn't asked it, that's all you'd have seen on Twitter.
0: On a related note, though, the ITF is apparently planning to change their policy on silent bans. Previously, the policy was to wait to publicize anything until
1: the hearing. Previously, the plan was to deny that there were actually silent (laughs) bans. Well, yeah, that (laughs) I And now all of a sudden they're saying, well... But
0: apparently now they want to make it known when it happens to avoid some of the shady things that have been going on in tennis. You know, so like Marin Cilic's... A fake injury, pull out of Wimbledon, and just, you know, some of the bad press that's been surrounding tennis this year. General with.
1: transparency is the yeah. goal.
0: And so it still has to be approved by the ATP and WTA boards, right? Before this policy According is enacted. According
1: to this uh, piece that we just yeah. read. But that will be uh, rather interesting if that becomes law. Do you want to get into or see what ha- happened was... It's not it's not next up on the agenda, but I feel mm. like now is a good spot to deal with this corne drama.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, this is what happens when you name your daughter after liquor. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. So, Alizé, I th- I'm sure you've all heard about it by now, was playing in the second round against Tatiana Maria. And just, I mean, when you told me that there was drama in the corne match, I'm like, okay... Yeah, what else is new? And And I was like, like, no, no, this is some next-level shit. like, you don't understand. (laughs) So, long story short, she was cramping, she was treated, and then she was treated on five successive changeovers. And she was given a time-violation warning.
1: This is what it looks like while you're watching the tennis, right? We can talk about a little bit afterward what may have happened in actuality. Mm -hmm. But watching the tennis she had to be helped to her chair after the completion of the game mm-hmm. and the start of the changeover. And then she had that seven, eight-minute assessment period right. to decide if it's a cramp or an injury. And then five successive changeovers, she's getting treatment. Meanwhile, Tatiana Maria is like, WTF, might.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, because if it is cramping, then no treatment is given, right? You want
1: to get into like what actually, what actually happened then? Yeah, sure. Because okay. I want to clear some things up for myself, too. There is a, a misunderstanding, a common misunderstanding that you cannot get any treatment for cramping. That's not the case. Okay. The issue is, what often happens is you start cramping midpoint. Mm-hmm. So if it's 15 love and you're serving and you're cramping, you have the option to forfeit the rest of the game. Or just try playing now, like boom, 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 lose, lose, lose the point, lose the game. Oh. once you get to the changeover is when you can have treatment. How many players actually put themselves through that mm-hmm. if the cramping is that bad without just retiring, right? Okay. So she had the initial assessment. This is what was explained to the viewers by Brett Haber and John Wardan mm. on Tennis Channel. Thank but, God we had them, right? We're, not getting t- yeah, we're getting John McEnroe. we're getting tennis channel for this tournament. Mm. And so after that initial seven-minute evaluation, right, so she's allowed to get those two changeovers where she gets treatments on the cramps. But then the other ones, presumably, would have been for a fresh injury. Right. A hip injury, supposedly. So some people are wondering and speculating whether Miss Cornet knew the rules and knew she had to invent some hip injury To be able to get all these rubdowns and attention on five successive changeovers.
0: (laughs) So when she ended up winning the match, she fell down on the clay, celebrated like she had won the entire tournament, and her opponent thought it rather distasteful. And I have to say, so did I.
1: Her celebration was as if she was recreating Whitney's one moment in time, not knowing (laughs) that she was racing to a destiny of a third set bagel against Venus Williams in the next (laughs) round. Like, your ass is going oh, nowhere. No. This is some budget shit you're dealing with. Like, it didn't even feel organic. No. Like, she won no. the point. It was like, oh, my God, this is my moment to have my my Rafa underground moment. It ain't happening no other way. You
0: know? I don't get... I don't know if she's oblivious or she's vindictive. Or I just... I don't get her at all. Because then Maria refused to shake her hand. And then pointed right in her face. Not only did
1: she refuse, while Corne was waiting around in the clay, mm-hmm. Maria was like, F this. I'm going to shake the ump's hand. She went back to her chair. Then Corne finally emerges from the clay ashes. And she <laughs> walks to the chair, shakes the chair's hand. Meanwhile, as she's reaching her hand out to the chair, Maria's coming. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, this this <laughs> is the moment. What's going to happen? Then you just see the finger. The finger comes out, and she's mm-hmm. wagging the finger in her and face. And she said, "You know what you did." And then Corne's wagging, we're doing this, da da, da, da. And then the finger still wagging, and Maria turns and walked, walked away. Like, wow, that was intense. Yeah.
0: So apparently, according to John Wertheim, their camps nearly came to blows in the locker room. There was the, a big
1: argument. The camps being Maria's husband and Corne's coach. Okay. So that's messy. First of all, get men out of the locker room. Right, pies. like the women can handle their own.
0: Right. Now, the question is, you know, it doesn't seem that Corne broke the rules per se. Like she didn't break the letter of
1: the law, but there was a there are questions about her sportsmanship. The thing about it, and where Corne doesn't get any benefit of the doubt, is that she has such a long history of histrionics. Mm-hmm and suspected poor sportsmanship in situations like these, that people just aren't willing to give her the benefit of the doubt. No.
0: I mean, I have to say, some people find her amusing. I don't. I don't like her attitude at all. You I didn't avoid like, her.
1: You didn't like her three wins over Serena in 2014, that's for sure. Well,
0: I certainly did not. <laughs> but no, I just, I don't like the way that she goes about playing the game. I just don't like
1: it. I will say, I walked, she walked right by me at the Rogers Cup a couple of years ago and last year, and she seemed as sweet as ever with the fans. <laughs>
0: Maybe that's. She seemed so. like
1: such a sweet lady.
0: <laughs> and if you're a fan, I'm not going to judge you, you know, like if, but that's just me. Okay. Now, ain't nothing wrong with that. It seems like Venus Williams was sitting at home taking notes while this was going on, because let me tell you. That shit is not going to fly with Venus. It's just not. Like, it is going to be stopped
1: immediately. She will shut that shit down. We'll get to that match later on when we're talking about, like, the women going forward. Because we're at the round of 16 point. And guess what? Miss Venus Ebony Star Williams (laughs) is one of the last 16 remaining women players at the fucking French I Open.
0: don't think even you saw that coming no, I as a loyal not. Venus fan.
1: Well, we did say that she had a very easy draw, but we're so yeah. accustomed to it not happening. Mm-hmm. It's been six years since she reached the yes. fourth round at the French.
0: Now, what's next on the agenda here?
1: Miss Andy Murray. Girl! Wh- <laughs> okay. We had meant to talk about Murray last time with respect to the Moresmo breakup.
0: Right, which I think we touched on.
1: But we didn't touch on uh, Moresmo
0: making some comments... Uh, like elucidating her reasoning,
1: right Because earlier in the spring we had seen that was it it was even last year maybe at some point in the recent past Moresmo was at the match but not in the Mari box mm-hmm. She was sitting somewhere else and people were like, uh what's going on?
0: And at the time, they said they were
1: experimenting
0: getting Andy not to look at his box so much and mm-hmm. sort of dealing with Andy's volatile personality,
1: right? And it turns out that Marismo just did not care for Andy's personality in some respects. Mm-hmm. That she, like we did, because we've often speculated about this, that we don't understand how his personality on court doesn't gel with his personality or what we assume him to be off court. Right. And she didn't like that. And that was the gist of her comments. <laughs> And so there's this back and forth in the media setting up for the moment where Andy's asked about it and mm. he's going to then throw her under the bus. Right. And he was not having any of it. <laughs> he's like, listen, we get along great. When we had this moment breaking up, it was amicable. We still love each other pretty much. It's There's nothing there. Stop twisting my words. Yeah. We're just moving on.
0: Yeah. And I think moresmo being French is very straightforward. Yeah. And... What I got for her com- from her comments was, like, I care for Andy as a person. I like his personality, but he's very, very different on court. And the, the contrast can be Jarring. exhausting, yeah. right? And she wants him to do well in the future, and they're just parting ways. Now, after having such a good run on Clay, Andy showed up and went to five sets in his first two matches here. And... I did mention,
1: you know, Stepanek
0: might be tricky, but I did did. not. You
1: you called that. I was totally dismissive.
0: I did not see this coming at all.
1: Like, he was damn near the brink. Ah, yeah. Had he not raced off to that big lead in the third set after dropping the first two, Mm -hmm. that might have been tricky.
0: But it's not like it was uh, 6-love-love-love in the third through the fifth set. Well, he did have the
1: benefit, Stepanek, of getting the night after because the match was suspended to come back a little bit more fresh in the morning and stop that momentum of losing. Mm -hmm.
0: But, you know, Andy was just, in both matches, passive, hitting a lot of errors. It was kind of like the old Andy that nobody likes before he learned to use his offense well. Missing serves. It was just uh, not not, not super
1: encouraging. Not super number (laughs) (laughs) two-ish. There were a few other things that we wanted to talk about before we get into the final segment of the podcast, which is going to be dealing with the final 16 on both halves of the mm. single straw, right? Okay. So the next thing up is you wanted to talk about Serena Williams on Snapchat.
0: Right, which we've talked about before.
1: It's one of your favorite topics.
0: She was actually asked about Snapchat in the press. Quite and, often,
1: uh, if I'm in the in our abode and I hear you <laughs> laughing from the other room, it's probably Serena's Snapchat. <laughs>
0: It's so crazy. Although, when she uses those filters, I skip through. I can't see those filters. They're very disturbing to me. When, like, people put dog faces on them, I just can't. Um, You also don't like talking babies
1: and talking dogs.
0: No. That is very disturbing to me. (laughs) Or, you know, like those commercials where the dogs have human teeth? That is sick. (laughs) It is so messed up. Um, So, anyway, actually, I think Nick McCarville wrote this piece for USA Today about Serena and Snapchat. And so she said that she doesn't really use other social media that much, and especially during tournaments, she only uses Snapchat because it's one-sided. You know, she doesn't have to read all these responses and... AKA what the people, Well, yeah. Like nasty things people are saying about her, you really have to have your head in the game.
1: Let me tell you, when she retires, I hope she goes straight to the Food Network. <laughs> because that cooking oh competition God. Snap Series was... My favorite yet.
0: Yes, the other night you, uh, Jonathan, put his phone on Bluetooth in the car, so we had Serena's Snapchat like on all the speakers in the car. Driving home, <laughs> it was so. It was like we were in her kitchen with her,
1: because she's always showing you how to cook something. I have to say, I I didn't taste the food, but based on just the presentation and the look, I will go for the chicken thighs any day of the week.
0: It's <laughs> it my was, favorite it was cut very of chicken. Minimalist.
1: It was pretty basic. Well, that was the point. It was a okay. five ingredient challenge, you know. I mean, you got a chicken breast, a mashed potato, and then some tossed salad. Like <laughs> That ain't gonna cut it. Sorry, Serena. No. She's it playing
0: a major right now. She has to be semi-healthy, okay? <laughs> and Venus is not going to be doing the cooking because Serena's not going to eat vegan Venus shit. Venus don't
1: give a damn oh, oh my God. about what's going I on. I love.
0: Can I just say thank you for reminding me that Venus was uh, quoted for this specific article and was like, "I don't really see any of Serena's Snapchats. They they just they're like they're gone by the time I get around to looking to them." Like somebody's like, grandma that is talking perfect, about it. The perfect old lady response, right? Because you can you can always see Venus like walking by in the background, and they're like, "Hey Venus," and she's
1: like, "Looks," and just like, "Whatever." <laughs> she played against Cornet, especially in that third set, like somebody's grandma. Like issuing some discipline, you know. Let me tell you, we'll we'll uh, get, we'll to, get it it. to that. We'll get to it. So we'll was... tease that throughout the episode. Yeah. it's sustaining us through today. <laughs> I'm in such elevated spirits because of Venus's play today.
0: There was another article in Vogue about Serena and the Williams Invitational, which it just sounds amazing. I saw a lot of her I, snapchats about I this, go. and I didn't really know what it was.
1: She needs to raffle off tickets to fans. Right.
0: For them to go. Apparently okay. So there's a dance competition, which apparently is very serious. Uh-huh. And Serena it sounded serious. Serena's like... won the last three, I think. Which like she's gotta win the majors and the dance competition. Well, we've too. seen the
1: receipts in Lemonade, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's true. How much would you pay for a ticket to the Serena Invitational? What's your cap? Uh well, I don't really have any money. Okay. So What do you think is a reasonable price for you to pay?
0: For me or for a fan? Either. I don't know, like $1,000? If you had (laughs) $1,000, would you pay $1,000 to go? (laughs) You don't need to spread my business all over the internet.
1: No, it's a serious question.
0: Maybe, probably. It's like once in a lifetime. Okay. And so they, Venus and Serena both put together teams of dancers. And so apparently... There were rumors that Serena was even flying people to Australia so they didn't miss the rehearsal time.
1: These are some serious epitome of first world problems. <laughs> <laughs> Not no, getting enough practice time right? for your own invitational.
0: I mean, but this family takes competition seriously. And Miss Oracine was all up in that. Oh my god. Like reading this article, I was like, this can't- this can't be real. This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. And then I hear that Orocene dresses up as Catwoman and does a lip sync number of Whitney Houston. <laughs> I don't remember which one. Queen song of the was. Night. Oh, oh, my God. Queen oh of the Night. Oh, my Lord. And, you know, I'm like, this can't be real. And then I remember this is the Williams family. Like, strange things happen all the time.
1: That they are Serena and Venus is strange and unbelievable. Right. So, they are, in a word, eccentric. Before we get into the second half of the podcast, of the episode, uh, we'll bring you a message from our sponsor, because we have a sponsor for last week and the next few episodes. We do. You may have
0: heard, if you listened to last week's episode, uh, Racket Magazine is a new tennis quarterly magazine. Uh, we spoke to Caitlin Thompson, who is one of the co-founders of the magazine, along with uh, David Shaftel, and it's really exciting for us. The magazine is uh, hoping to look at tennis from a global perspective in a way that kind of celebrates the exciting history of the game and the present in a way that is maybe not being done at the moment.
1: And the part about it that's most exciting for us is the cast that's on board for the first couple issues, right? Oh, yeah.
0: So Caitlin and David are on the editorial board, along with Courtney Nguyen, who you know from Sports Illustrated and WTA Insider and uh, Larry Buchanan, and they, they're getting some pretty impressive names to write in the first issue, including uh, Carol Bouchard, who used to write for L'Equipe in France, and she contributes to Sports Illustrated and all sorts of publications, uh, Sasha Frere-Jones, who's not really a tennis writer, who is a pretty prominent, uh, you know, cultural critic, writes for The New Yorker. So we're here just to uh, tell you how to help. Or how to subscribe if you're interested. There's currently a Kickstarter going on
1: that's just past the halfway point in terms of the goal for the funds that they hope to raise to print the first two episodes. Yes, they're aiming for fifty thousand, and as we speak to you right now, it's just over twenty-five.
0: So fifty dollars can get you a yearly subscription,
1: four episodes,
0: <laughs> four episodes, four uh, magazines. Yes, and Racket is actually print only. And so the emphasis is on a really beautiful layout and design, something you can hold in your
1: hands. And And check out their Instagram page as well, because you'll see a lot of cool photos from all walks of tennis past. Okay, so let's move on
0: and finish our French Open uh, chat.
1: You say zebra, I say zebra. Yeah, most people in the world say zebra. Americans say zebra. But you do you. Canadians might say zebra. Yes, they do. I am Jamaican. I say zebra. And that's... Can British people weigh in? Please. Yeah, let us know. Wherever you are in the world, tell us how you pronounce zebra. Because that might help me a lot in my daily life in my household. Because I get mocked endlessly (laughs) for the way I pronounce things. And I can't even remember how I should be pronouncing things anymore. Because I lived in Jamaica for the first 18 years of my life. And I've been in North America now for... I guess I'm going to date myself now for 13 years. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I can't even remember how I grew up saying, I say Caribbean now. I know at one point it was either Caribbean or Caribbean. I don't know. <laughs> There's so many words that are muddled for me now that I don't know what I used to say and mm-hmm. what the cor- the correct in quotation marks
0: is. Or the, the regional pronunciation appropriate to where you're living now.
1: I'm just one big sellout is what I am.
0: You just have a lot of oral influences. Yeah, a lot yeah. of things
1: going on. I don't know how those people do it who speak so many different languages. Like, I speak English, a bit of Spanish, and I consider my Jamaican patois another language. So, mm-hmm. two and a half languages, right? Right. And it's so confusing for me <laughs> because there's so many different things going on within English, you know? Mm-hmm. Anyway, zebra is important for tennis because of the Adidas kit that has been cast upon the tennis world visually um, some might say inflicted upon the tennis world <laughs> now i know you absolutely hate it i don't mind it in spots like i think dominic team looks so adorable in it he does alexander yeah, he really zverev does. looks atrocious in it mm-hmm. i think somebody referred to him on twitter as a giraffe dressed up as a zebra <laughs> a zebra <laughs> Just swimming, swimming in those clothes. And then you have some of the women who are wearing the print, but with what looks like suspenders on the dress. Yeah, like the the mock suspenders. And then some people just have one half of the kit in zebra print, and then the rest solid. And then I think there's also other apparel lines, other companies that are using zebra-like print. In their kids, okay. that's also very
0: confusing. Uh, so like,
1: is it Adidas or is it not?
0: Adidas hasn't copyrighted that hideous print. I don't
1: know, but the one thing that I found really great about this whole thing, I, th- I think Dominic Team was asked about how he felt about beating Zverev in the third round, and he said something like, "Well, I'm really sad because there's one less zebra in the tournament," <laughs> <laughs> which was
0: so good. Adidas's tennis kits are almost uniformly terrible. And they have been for, like, the entirety of the time I've been watching tennis. I liked it's Kerber's boring and the Open horrible. kit. I liked it. Okay, that was okay. But usually they're just boring. Mm-hmm. You remember Justine Nena's kits? And, and like... Any opportunity you can take... I know.
1: ...to dump on Justine Nena.
0: <laughs> no, but, like, they'll send people to a major wearing literally all the same outfit. Mm-hmm. And it's just... And they're not even exciting, right? And then when so, you see
1: the promotional lineup with all the players together wearing the different kits it's an assault on your eyes
0: i mean i almost have to give them credit for actually trying something it's bold that's for sure yeah it's it's no stella mccartney (laughs) no i I would put adidas like one notch one tiny notch above stella mccartney she
1: designs for adidas though right doesn't she
0: yeah she designed that abomination that kara wasniaki wore all year that which, which one that gauze bandage dress that she wore at uh her first u.s
1: open final which year which month
0: they all blend together <laughs> no it was literally the same
1: dress for like no all i know is that months. there's some kind of pleating and some draping it, yeah.
0: it looked like cinderella after midnight struck and her dress got torn apart do you remember that in the disney movie <laughs> that's what it looked like
1: news coming out of the first week John McEnroe announced that he'll be coaching slash working with Milos Raonic during Mm -hmm. Wimbledon. And we had our Twitter friend Mel, Mm -hmm. Athena1949 on Twitter, ask us what we thought about that along the lines of with Moya, McEnroe, and all these people in the Raonic camp. How is it that they're able to put egos aside and make this thing work?
0: Right. Uh, Well, from... A tennis perspective it makes sense to bring John McEnroe on board because Milos's game is a bit of a throwback and like you mentioned he's I mean he's trying to win Wimbledon he's probably best
1: positioned to succeed on a grass tournament right and one of the improvements the main improvement that we've seen in his game and he's looked pretty good most of the year when he's been able to avoid injury is that he's improved his net play so much mm-hmm. and so it makes sense to me that if Wimbledon is an ultimate goal or the tournament that you feel the grand slam that you feel you're most able to win
0: mm-hmm.
1: that you would bring somebody who is a grass court and servant volley expert onto your team right. to help you even improve further. Right. Mm-hmm. And so as far as the conflict of egos, I'd imagine that Moya not being that accomplished on grass, he did win a, a French open. I assume that he'll be taking more of a backseat in the next few months as McEnroe works with him more intensely leading up to Wimbledon. Maybe. Because it's presented as though McEnroe will be working just through Wimbledon.
0: Okay. Now, temperamentally, I'm not convinced it's going to work because I'm, I'm not totally convinced that John McEnroe can coach a player. I, you know, I'm just, I don't, ugh, I don't know how far I want to go into this. But, well, he doesn't really seem like he watches tennis when he's commentating. So it's going to take a lot bigger
1: commitment mm-hmm. in that sense. But I think... Perhaps he won't be the strategy in the matchup head-to-head kind of guy. Okay. He'll be the technical <laughs> kind of guy, specifically right. for net play. He'll be His Fine. will be a very niche involvement. Well, we'll hope so. Because...
0: Right now, I see John McEnroe as all id, like all unfiltered passion. (laughs) And so, in order to work with people closely, you're going to have to censor that in some way. And so, we'll we'll see.
1: We don't know how it will work out. We'll just have to wait and see. That's the bottom line. Mm. It's interesting for damn sure. Ubaldo Scanagata. Oh, God. Why? Why do we have to talk about him? He issued a tweet earlier in the week that got a fair bit of blowback. And he said, Camila Georgie wins the match and beauty contest, both extremely elegant and sexy, versus Alizé Lim. 6'3", 6'2". <laughs> now she'll face Kiki Burton's. And his, he followed that up by saying, you know, I've been getting a lot of, you know, feedback and blowback for this, but da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And so I initially quote-tweeted his original tweet and said... This is both extremely inelegant and sexist. <laughs> Playing off of his referring to the woman as both extremely elegant mm. and sexy, right? And so he, a few hours later, I guess he was sleeping. We have different, you know, time schedules. right? So here, right before I'm getting ready to go to bed, I get this response. And he says, if one doesn't appreciate beauty, elegance, sensuality, even on athletes, they have a problem, not me. <laughs> And so I just quote tweeted that with the side eye, and that was it. Yeah. How much more of a dinosaur can you be? Mm,
0: I don't even want to waste my breath on this bullshit. It's like, women are valuable to the extent that they are also sensual and beautiful and attractive, you know? It's just the same old bullshit. It's like,
1: just go away. What fraction of your worth as a woman is actually your abilities? (laughs) Right. And if, if you can get to one half, you are top of the pile. Oh, my God. And if you don't spend the time
0: to appreciate someone's sensuality, then that's your problem. Right?
1: <laughs> Victoria Ezarenka and Joe Lissanga both had to retire. Mm-hmm. Both very sad on court in the lead up to it. And both in tears, really. It was very sad yeah. to watch.
0: Yeah, I know that I've been less than charitable to Victoria recently. But I really had to feel for her in this situation. She has suffered a lot from injuries in the past. It's really changed the course of her career completely. Yeah. you know. So I definitely felt for her going out like that, especially in the first round. It, it's, not, it's not good to see.
1: And Songa, he was defending semifinal points. He had a decent shot at winning a few more rounds. He would have played uh, with Nadal out. He would have played Djokovic in the semifinals potentially, right?
0: And maybe I'm wrong, but I really thought that he would have been a tough out for Djokovic in the semis. You know, could really make some noise. You've been
1: standing for this first slam for Sangha for a while now. I know.
0: Like, I've been beating the drum for a long time here. (laughs) So that was really sad to see. And he actually, he looked very, very sexy in this tournament. Well, you liked him as a zebra, didn't you? Yeah, he was actually one of the only good zebras. That's actually very
1: very racist, considering he's black, and you're comparing him to animals.
0: Did I dress him up as an animal? No, (laughs) I did not.
1: (laughs) I'm so saddened for Lucy Shavashova, because she made the finals in singles last year, won the Australian Open and the French Open doubles with Bethany Mm Maddock. and so she had a lot of points defending. She had managed, after not winning any singles matches all year, to finally win a tournament. And so she entered the, the French Open with a little bit of momentum. Right. Lost first up in doubles. And so when the tournament's over, she's going to be outside the top 25 in singles. And roughly around 13 in doubles. Mm.
0: And I mean, but her result is not is not embarrassing. She lost to Sam Stozer, who's been playing yeah, quite well. She's you been know? playing very well. So... I definitely feel for her. I, You know, I was actually really um, encouraged by her play in the first round. I was like, okay, well, she's here to play,
1: you know? But she ran into Sam, and that's that. You know what? Better she have that draw than Venus have that draw. Well, you know, somebody's got to suffer. It's selfish, but yeah, there it somebody is. somebody has to have a tough draw and go out unfairly, you know? Mm-hmm. Doubles is often overlooked on this podcast, and so many times I find us recording an episode, I'm like, damn, mm-hmm. we wanted to talk about doubles and we didn't get around to it. We have so many great doubles teams on both ATP and WTA tours right now. It's really an embarrassment of riches. And so on the women's side, you have Santina, Hingis, and Mirza going for their so-called Santina slam. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> as you recall, they won Wimbledon, the US Open, the Australian Open, and now this would be the fourth in a row. Right. Meanwhile. Caroline Garcia and Kiki Mladenovic have been on a tear the last month and a half. And we've got Venus and Serena who are playing doubles at this French yeah, Open. Yeah, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. They won their first round match. And after they both played singles today, they were able to get in one set in their doubles second round, which they won. So they'll come back. When is, what is tomorrow? Sunday? Yeah. They'll come back Sunday and they'll try and complete that. Mm-hmm. But right now, the women's doubles teams that are still alive, Venus and Serena, Santina, the Chan sisters who are seeded third, the Silent H's, Lavachkova <laughs> and Radechka, uh-huh. uh, Garcia Mladenovic, they're still in. But as we said before, Team Boosie, Shavasheva, and Maddox Sans, they're out. Right. And then on the men's side, we had mentioned before in previous episodes that Jamie Murray had gotten to number one. He's now the number four seed at Roland Garros. He's still in with Bruno Suarez at number four. Herbert and Mehu, they're still around, the top seed. Doddige and Mello, three seeds. The Brian brothers, the five seeds, and Daniel Nestor and Qureshi are alive as well. Mm. Meanwhile, I think the number two seeds, uh Roher and Tekkao, they're out. As well as Paspisak lost today. Mm, that's so sad. You're all about Team Paspisak, I am. aren't you? I'm
0: pulling for their next major, you know?
1: you you love, I think you could even say lerve, Vashik. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. And I've always been partial to Jack. That's, you know, if we had to pick one. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of sorrowing on Jack's on-court demeanor and his mm. behavior. Yeah, I hear you. Because I'm like, if I don't tolerate this shit from other people, why am I giving Jack Sock a pass? Right. You know, it's not cute.
0: Because uh, I'm a fan too, but I don't really like... This sort of arrogant
1: Americanness. No, you know. Let's get into the final thirty-two singles players. Okay. How do you feel about Miss Serena? Um, well, pretty good. You know, in I, spite of today against Mladenovic? Yeah, yeah. I didn't
0: see the entire match because uh, it started a bit too early for me on a Saturday. But as she was trying to close it out in the second set, second set tiebreaker, Kiki was hitting some incredible shots you know just every match point it seemed like mladenovic had an answer so you know i don't think that serena was playing badly i think she's sort of whipping herself into form and yeah i i don't know
1: i don't really have anything ladenovich played serious ball today mm-hmm. i saw up until mid second set and then i saw the stats after the delay which was at the start of the second set tiebreak right Right. And at that point, Serena's 1 for 12 in break points. I'm like, how in the hell? <laughs> one and so 12. when I was watching the replay during the delay, it was like, wow, Kiki is killing it on these break points. At one point, she was down triple break point, love 40, and just made it happen. Mm. And then there were all those match points that she saved in the second set tie break.
0: Right. I mean, but at any point, did I think Serena was going to lose that match?
1: No. Yeah, that's what you say until she loses
0: no Mm. there were like there were times in the australian open final where i was like uh i
1: really think she's gonna lose this
0: and she did and i was i was uh you know big enough to admit that
1: (laughs) carla suarez navarro and yulia putintseva (laughs) yeah those two are
0: going very quietly through the draw i haven't heard anything about them this week
1: carla is fairly accomplished on clay she's had decent results at the french open in the past Mm. she has a They've played once before, and Carla won that match. Uh, it was a two thousand thirteen Australian Open, and it was three sets. Nothing that's really predictive going forward. We know that Putintseva is a what's the word? Wacky. That's that's mild, a nice, way charitable. To put it. Mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm. I'm not one of those people that live for one of her brick like uh, meltdowns and mm. crazy behavior on court. Like that shit really pisses me off. I don't enjoy that, so I kind of avoid watching her matches. Yeah. Kiki Burtons and Madison Keys. This is all the top half of the draw.
0: Yeah, so Burtons is the one who beat Kerber in the first round. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a shock. Uh, but it also, it sort of flew under the
1: radar in the first few days, you know? We were, I was just talking with uh, Pete Zebron about it, interacting with him on Twitter, mm. about this very same thing, because he had tweeted that how is it that nobody's really talking about the fact that Kerber lost right in the first round as the reigning Australian Open champion? And you know, she came into the tournament with known injury concerns. Mm-hmm. And I think that the women's draw has just delivered so many great moments and there's still so many top players still around that I'm sorry, like if Serena's still in the draw, it overshadows the fact that Kerber is not there. Right. You know, And, you know,
0: Kerber is the year's only major winner, but she's still not a huge superstar outside of tennis. And it's also not super surprising on the WTA that a Grand Slam winner will have a bad result at the
1: next tournament. It happens. Which is to say, we're so conditioned on the men's tour, and it's not a judgment about, as you should know as listeners from listening to our podcast, Right. <laughs> about the quality of either tour... But we're so conditioned to the monotony of the the top players on the men's tour winning Mm -hmm. at ease in the early rounds of majors. And that just typically isn't the case with the WTA tour. As far as we're concerned, the depth is that much greater that these upsets are, you know, likely to happen. Mm -hmm. And she was a candidate for it, frankly. (laughs) Right. Early in the draw. And, you know,
0: Keys is here playing to her seating and really won't be surprised if she makes the quarters. But Bertens is
1: playing really well. She just made the final in Rome, Madison, mm-hmm. and she's backed that up with another solid result. And so to see Keyes in the quarterfinals would not be a surprise. No. And then we get to the match that I'm looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Miss Venus Williams against Tamea Baczynski. This could be one of the blockbusters
0: of the fourth round
1: on on both sides.
0: Uh, So Venus today played Alizé Cornet. Mm -hmm. And like we said... Hypnotic, Hennessy, (laughs) Luke Curacao. (laughs) She must have been taking notes because Venus came to play. She didn't come to fuck around at all. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, you know, there was a very, very long rain delay today. This is one of the only days I have totally to myself, and I can watch tennis. Right? It worked and out for you. It did eventually, but there was a rain delay, and then all of the TV channels at the French Open lost power. Yeah. The whole TV area lost power. It was a so pretty serious even, thing. They had right.
1: big lightning strikes. A lot of people died. Died. Yes, there was no. a big, I'm serious. I'm not. I'm not messing with you right now. People died. Like a bunch of people died, and a lot were injured. Okay. So are you saying that the tennis is not a big deal? It is a big deal. I'm just saying don't be too glib okay. with admonishing the French Open right now.
0: <laughs> okay, fine. So when they came back, they at first we were watching Serena on like one little aerial camera and there was no scoreboard or anything. Mm-hmm. And finally, when Venus started, everything was kind of back up and running. And so... She uh, she made it through the first set. It was very close. They were both holding serve. And then the second set was over before you knew it. And Cornet just like ran away with it. And the third set was over even quicker I than mean, that. The, the second and third sets lasted like 15
1: minutes together. <laughs> I swear. I was able to find a feed for it at work on uh, one of the TVs. And I caught that final game. And let me tell you. Those winners that Venus mm-hmm. hit, those three glorious winners. She was up five love in the third set, but down love thirty on Car- on Cornet's serve. Mm-hmm. So Cornet was up thirty love. It's like, okay, damn, the bagel. There's no bagel, right? You know. But then Venus was like, mm, nope. She really wanted that bagel, bad. She was like, diet be damned, <laughs> gluten be damned. Is she gluten free? Um, I
0: don't know. She's vegan, Vegan, right? yes. I don't know about the gluten. Though. Okay. Well, okay. So here, a little context. Venus was, like, mean-mugging all over the place during this match. She was just not really in the mood to laugh. She wasn't here for any of Corne's bullshit. And she was making it very clear that she best not start nothing, either. You know? And <laughs> what was that business about the
1: chair empire giving oh, her a warning? Oh, lord.
0: So... The chair gave her a warning for coaching. And so... Which is
1: some... I mean, come on. This is Venus Williams. This is outrageous. Like, if there has ever been a traditionalist on the WTA... If you know anything about tennis, granted, I didn't watch it. Maybe Venus was doing something she shouldn't be doing. But everything I know as a Venus expert, all Venus does on her changeover is sit and stare in front of her. (laughs) Check my Twitter banner picture. Right. That's what Venus does on her changeovers.
0: And the commentators were shocked, and they were very upset. But I should say it was Macaron Robinson, so really, who knows? (laughs) Who knows that they were even watching. But she was so mad, and they were kind of talking through her tirade, so I couldn't really hear it all. But I note that she did say, don't go there. I'm 36 years old. (laughs) She said that? Yes. And I mean point of information she's actually 35 still only, she's yeah, only 35. She's 35 she aged herself up she's still got a couple weeks and she said i have never in my life received a code violation for coaching i'm 36 years old at that moment i felt so close to her because <laughs> whenever someone tries to impugn my integrity my go-to line is like i'm 30 years old okay okay <laughs> Quick sidebar, we were at the college bookstore store, uh, and my friend Brendan, we were asked to put our bags like in this little cubby hole while we browsed, you know, because we're obviously going to steal like half the store. And he was so pissed and he's like, I'm 30 years old. I'm not going to steal from the bookstore. And the clerk was very upset and it was just not a good situation. Wasn't she
1: like, but can you still put your bag there? And he was like, no. And then he's like, Fine. Oh, he
0: actually did it. Yeah, he he did it. He did it. But then when we went up to the register, she disappeared because she didn't want to have to deal with him.
1: As we say back home, she catch our friend. Mm -hmm. Yes, she did.
0: So I'm with you, Venus. I am 30 years old and I would not be dealing with that rude insinuation from the chair umpire.
1: Listen, the beauty about Venus in this stage of her career is that she keeps delivering and giving us these moments that we have no business to experience. Venus... Winning three matches at Roland Garros at 36. What? Right? I mean, it's a bonus even
0: to have her play the French Open at and this stage.
1: We've seen her look in horrible shape physically mm-hmm. this year because she's still having her thigh strapped. Right. We never know how she's going to be feeling. And folks, myself included, thought, well, maybe you should just skip the clay court season. Mm. Like, what's the point? And there she is racking up some more points. And you're also... likely to re-enter the top 10 after the French Open, mm-hmm. depending on who, what players like uh, Baczynski, who's defending semifinal points, and Kuznetsova and the like do behind her, right? But she's right. in good shape.
0: Yeah. And now we have her against the 8 seed, Baczynski, in who the round of 16. was my dark
1: horse. Right. Now this skip must give you pause. It doesn't. I want Venus to wax okay. her every which way. There, <laughs> okay. is, there is no pause to be had. <laughs> Well, I mean, she can't be your dark horse anymore. That's fine. Okay. I'm happy with being proven
0: wrong <laughs> if it's Venus. So Venus does own a 2-0 head-to-head, but this is their first meeting on clay.
1: We can speed through the other half of mm-hmm. the woman's draw.
0: So Begu and Rogers. Rogers beat Petra Govitova and doled out two bagel sets in the That's
1: process. That's the most ridiculous scoreline you'll ever see. That's crazy. Six love, six seven, six love.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And... Frankly, you'd expect Begu to win this match. They've never played each other, but Begu's had a fairly good run the last few weeks. But Rogers has the momentum of having beaten a top player. Who knows?
0: Rogers also beat Plishkova and uh, Vesnina, and Vesnina was trying to qualify for the Olympics. So, yeah, this that's girl true. is a is a killer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, the now what I see is the other blockbuster fourth round Ooh, is yes. Kuznetsova Muguruza oh, because. Yes. I could see this going
1: any which way. That is so delicious. And, uh, and bless Svetlana Kuznetsova because she has delivered the goods in 2016. She really
0: has. And, you know, watching Sveta on clay is a gift. It's wonderful. And you may be surprised to know that they've only played one time and Kuznetsova won uh, last year in Madrid. So, in three sets. If you're looking at the draw, I know Kuznetsova fans never want to plan ahead. But there's a real possibility that she could be a semi-finalist. That she could be a finalist. Well, that is very true. Now, I should say that the the bottom half, or the, the fourth...
1: Because, wait, because also, Muguruza, who knows what to expect? She's had such an up-and-down, mostly down year. We know what her talent and her skill set says she is capable of. Right. But who knows?
0: And she does. She says she treats this as her home Grand Slam. Mm-hmm. She likes playing here. She likes big stages. Uh, no, Magrusa. Oh, Magrusa? Okay. Yeah, and uh, Kuznetsova
1: is sort of an honorary Spaniard as well because she. But check it. Like, if you're in a position where Kuznetsova is looking at a more consistent player, you've had a bad year.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. That is so true. <laughs> But remember that Kuznetsova is a two-time Grand Slam winner, so you cannot count her out in that
1: match. The third match that I'm looking forward to is and Stozer. I'm so behind Sam Stozer. I would love for her to be a finalist. I really... I would not say I would love for her to be a winner, because I expect a Williams to be on the trophy.
0: I really felt so much for Sam Stozer when she lost the French Open against Schiavone. I Mm. felt like she had done the hard yards and knocked... She knocked out Serena in that tournament and... Justine and I think which prompted Anna's second retirement and so I really felt and like you were so thankful
1: to her for that no
0: I'm not saying that <laughs> I'm just saying that was an incredible tournament that she did not win uh so you know I'm, I'm always pulling for Sam Stozer. and I talked to her last year in Toronto and she gave me her autograph That's she was true. she
1: was very nice and that hers was the best practice session I've ever watched live yeah it was so much fun to mm. watch I have to say though, the fourth quarter has not fallen apart like I thought it would. In that Halaband Rodvanska is still around. Ex- exactly. Well, yeah. Aga told us that she was she was doing her due diligence in getting her clay game in order. She uh, wrote that apparently she wrote that editorial for the time Straight, saying, <laughs> you know, like I really want to be better. <laughs> I'm mm-hmm. trying, and she's in the fourth round.
0: I really I expected Sloane Stevens to be here, but Parangava, just. Slaughtered her yesterday. Don't I mean, it was
1: really ugly. It was a massacre.
0: Yeah. Sloan had absolutely no answers to Parankava's
1: power and accuracy. And she just, Parankava just played so well. I, I was really impressed. Mm-hmm. The knock on her has really been that she can't sustain that for any long stretch right. of time, right? Even within one tournament mm. or one match. Right. You know, but that was a masterful. Show And she's supposedly a one-trick
0: pony on grass, but hey. She's also, the past two years at Wimbledon, has really bad results.
1: And so, better results than Clay. Who knows? You know? She just remains somebody you do not want to see in your draw. No. Nope. So tell us your dream final.
0: Um. Okay, well, obviously Serena from the top half. That goes without saying. Well, okay. My dream finalist would be Svetlana, but... She's not somebody that I want Serena to meet. Because they have history, uh, Svetlana plays her really well, and I want Serena to win this tournament. But if, I, if I'm if i thinking of like a throwback, classic WTA matchup, that's what I want to see.
1: My dream final would be Venus and Svetlana. Okay. And I can't help but get that far ahead of myself in thinking that Venus could do even more damage from what I've seen. Because what, what she's taught us in the last year is if she gets through the first couple rounds at tournaments, she can go all the way. Mm. She's won a few tournaments the last year and a half. And if it gets to the semifinals and it's a Williams final, Williams semifinal, I'm pulling for Venus. That's just the way it is. That's the way it's always going to be. Don't care if it's 22. <laughs> if Serena's is going for number 30, don't care. Yeah. Venus gives me life. I don't want to think of a life where I don't get to feel what I felt today with Venus winning. Like that level of inspiration to me is something that I don't get from anywhere else. And for the same reason as you, I would like to retract Kuznetsova from the right. final and insert Sam Stozer. I think it'd be a nice oh, little okay. reward for her. And on the men's side...
0: So I think it's fair to say that we're considerably less interested in the men's side now that Rafa's out, Songa's out, Federer didn't even come.
1: It's always been the case. Like we're really only interested in men's tennis for Rafa, right?
0: <laughs> and hopefully Dominic team now.
1: Yes. Oh my God. Yes.
0: Uh, so Djokovic, as uh, as is seated, is playing Bautista Agut, and I mean, I don't really think Bautista has a chance.
1: I do like the prospect of a Ferrer Djokovic quarterfinal. Mm, I don't. I don't. The head-to-head is not good for Ferrer Mm. at all. But at Roland Garros on clay, with Rafa out of Djokovic's way, Mm -hmm. (laughs) we don't know what kind of mental implications can come into play. Right. I mean, and I do like Ferrer is like a dog with a bone on clay if Djokovic shows him any vulnerability mm. like he's not going to give the match away and he's shown improved form coming back from injury okay of all the players i'd rather ferrer of those other three players bautista agut ferrer and burdick ferrer is the one that i think has the best oh albeit there's a little no chance. doubt about that yeah. but
0: for me none of the three of them really have much of a chance Okay. Now the question is is Djokovic going to be feeling the pressure even more because Rafa's out or is he going to see it as a free pass to the semifinals? And possibly even the final. Yeah, this is Look the, at this, draw. this is
1: the popcorn moment of the men's draw.
0: Team is the one who's coming in with the best form and Team has never been to a Grand Slam semifinal. And
1: Team is in the fourth round playing Grenier's. Possibly in the quarterfinals, a good shot at the semifinals, in spite of you lambasting him last week. Who? You. For playing For his scheduling. Yeah, for his scheduling, and we differed on this. I don't take that back. I will like to pat myself on the back, because the way you'd have had it, he'd have lost his Zverev today, based on his scheduling and being tired, right? So just own that.
0: No. I said Zverev might not even make that round.
1: Remember? The point is, team is playing well in spite of people doubting him yourself people included. being me people, haters yes, haters a
0: surprising stat that you noted for me is that thomas uh, Berdic actually leads ferrer on clay 3 to 2 yeah and ferrer actually well he leads their head to head 8 to 6 overall ferrer leads to head to head yes eight-to-six. sorry
1: but uh, Berdic leads 3 to 2 two of those wins came back in 2004
0: Okay. So but he did he beat him this year at Madrid. He did right? at Madrid.
1: Madrid is kinda of like that asterisk clay tournament, right? <laughs> so like there's there's stuff to, okay. to debunk yeah. within that, but it still makes for an overall interesting stat read, mm. right? And back
0: from the dead, Ernest
1: Galbus is in the fourth round again. Getting a bit of good luck with Songa's walkover today. Mm-hmm. He's ranked number eighty heading into the French right. Open. And so win another couple rounds, and he could have halved his ranking. He could be back near the top 40. On the bottom half of the draw, Raonic gets Ramos-Vinolas. Troitsky, who took out Simon, gets Vavrinka. Nishikori plays Gasquet, and Isner gets Mari. The matchup here that's most interesting to me is Nishikori-Gasquet, and Gasquet holds a 6-2 lead over Nishikori. Yeah, that was very surprising to me. Gasquet having won all s- the first six matches between 08 and 2015, and then Nishikori winning both their matches this year in Rome and Madrid. Okay,
0: well, we should say that Gasquet had been playing really well and handled Kyrgios very deftly With in a the third plum. round, and it was just a highlight reel of backhands.
1: I told you this off air before we started. If I were to pick somebody as some as the one who could really bust out and do some crazy, crazy shit to complete this wacky French Open, it would be Gasquet. Mm-hmm. Like if I if you told me that Gasquet made it all the way to the final, caught a Djokovic unawares <laughs> and unready and unstable and went on to win the French Open in front of his home crowd, mm-hmm. I'd be like, why not? Right. As for the rest of the matchups, don't care. (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) none of those matches. Mm, Isner's played Mari fairly tight over the course of their careers. Vavrinka's owned Troitsky. Raonic and Vinolas have only played once. Raonic winning that in Fed Cup. Ha! Davis Cup. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Davis
0: Cup. No, honestly, I'm not going to be getting up early for any of these matchups. Except Nishikori Gaske would probably be the most interesting one
1: to me. The bottom line here, it's looking... Especially the way Mori played in the first two rounds and the way Favrinka has been playing the Mm -hmm. last couple rounds. It's looking like another Djokovic-Favrinka final, which I'll take at this point. It'd make for fantastic viewing Mm -hmm. should the real Stan show up. (laughs) Right. And we're getting glimpses of that. So who are your dream finalists? Dream finalists. Novak fans, close your ears. Which you should be mute well, to this. They shit. already know. know it's not right. going to be him. A dream final. I'd go with Dominic Team over Stan Wawrinka. Oh, you didn't have to pick the winner. Well, I mean, okay. If I had to pick a winner, ah, uh-huh. I'm not invested really in any of these people. Murray, I guess. Oh shit, <laughs> I totally overlooked Murray, which uh-huh. is like the the total nature of my relationship to Murray as a tennis player. Uh, right. I'm in love with Murray off the court. <laughs> But as a mm. tennis player, he's so overlookable for me. Yeah. Dominic team over Wawrinka or Murray. That's what I'd go Okay.
0: With. I would say my, well, this is tough. I would actually love, I'd like to see team and Nishikori. Yeah? Yeah. Not even so much for that matchup, because I haven't really thought about that that much. But I want to see Nishikori in the Roland Garros
1: final. I'd be up for Nishikori winning the final, mm. actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how could he be mad at that? He's right. he's played just as as well as anybody else mm. on clay this this spring. I'm tired of talking. You ready to put a wrap on this one? Yes. Okay. So you can follow the body serve on Twitter. The usual spiel at the body serve. I'm Jonathan at Sportscribe CA, and I'm James at Elliot JMR. And hit us up on iTunes. Give us a review. I've actually thoroughly enjoyed recording this episode. This is one of my most mm-hmm. fun and enjoyable episodes in a long time. We're able to do it, you know, on our own time, at our own pace. Usually we're doing it after working a, all night. Yeah, you know, it's very late. We went out, had some dinner, had a couple cocktails <laughs> and mm-hmm. recorded the episode. Uh, let us know what you think of the, the podcast through Twitter and also give us that review. We love reviews. We think reviews are fantastic. Let's throw some out, some other Donald Trump words out there. Amazing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make reviews great again. <laughs> and uh, remember to check out Racket Magazine at Kickstarter uh, if you're interested in contributing. And they're also uh, on Twitter at Racket Magazine.
1: At Racket Mac.
0: Mac. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but you know, like... There'll be links. We'll put links. You all know how to use Google. He's so, like, very confused. Do your thing. Okay. You know? Till next time.